Hey, BWB fans. Today's episode is brought to you by Red Transit Consultants. Red Transit Consultants does really high-end customizations of CAD uh, workspaces. Um, so if your CAD software isn't doing quite what you want it to do, um, reach out to Red Transit Consultants. Steve Hill over there knows a thing or two about uh, the civil workspace. Uh, he's developed amazing plugins already available uh, for purchase directly from their website, uh, focusing on things like uh, pipe network productivity tools, lot grading tools, surface productivity tools. Uh, these tools really help with the automation and efficiency of existing workflows and really, you know, pick up where the software leaves off. Uh, so if you need any uh, customization or you just want to check out their tools, um, follow the links uh, on our website and reach out to Red Transit Consultants. Hi, everyone. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the hosts and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. Uh, as usual, I'm Joe Whitney, and with me is Dave Campbell. What's going on, Dave? Hey, not much, Joe. Another beautiful day. Another beautiful day, man. It, you're, you're telling me here, man. I've been out on a golf course all day uh, sitting under uh, a canopy, you know, <laughs> uh, drinking beer and talking BIM and construction uh, for pretty much the whole entire day. It's been great. It's been a little too warm, 85 here, but you know what, man? It, it beats any day in the office. Yeah, that's definitely true. It's been it's been 90s and like humid here. It feels like a tropical rainforest when I walk outside. It's nuts. I I I, I swear I start sweating as soon as I walk outside. <laughs> <laughs> you go outside and you instantly need another shower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. So uh, what are you drinking today, Joe? Well, you know, man, I, I, I'm rehydrating. First of all, I've got a, a big old thing water here with me uh sipping on that but uh i've also got when i'm when i'm brave enough to open it some rheingeist uh bubbles rose al uh, i love this man it goes down smooth um you know it's got a little little fruity and whatnot but it's still six percent it's a it's a good little light ale you know i've been drinking dogfish heads and miller lights in the sun all day so i need i need something just uh <laughs> something a little bit easier on my palate <laughs> nice how nice. about yourself bud uh, well, you know, I went uh, a little bit of a different direction today, and I went to went to the local liquor store and picked up a six pack of Founders Dirty Bastard Scotch Style Ale. It's a eight and a half percent, but had, honestly, it's a really. At, I mean, it's a good beer. You had me at Dirty Bastard, and then had me again <laughs> at Scotch Style. <laughs> oh, they man. know their target, man. They do. They do. They know it well. As soon as I saw that, I was like, yeah, you're coming home with me. They they know their audience. That's great. Well, hey, man, speaking of audience, dude, uh, you shot me a link, uh, which was amazing to to look at this morning, getting my day started, uh, where apparently our audience is bigger than we thought. Um, we're number two, apparently, for not to toot our own horn, um, for, for uh, BIM podcasts uh, nation, well, uh, worldwide. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, it is, dude. I was very, very excited to see that. I just kind of stumbled on it randomly, and I saw. I was like, man, I got to send this to Joe. That is super exciting news, and it's awesome. We thank everyone for listening to our podcast. We 
you know, just enjoy being here. We love having these conversations and uh, it's been great. And uh, to all my friends, uh, all of our listeners and all that whatnot, um, a dear friend of mine who is the reason why we started this podcast has his own podcast called Cad Manager Confessions. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't already, go jump in, listen to it. We want to help them help him get up to number one. He's at number four. She's getting robbed, man. He's he's easily, <laughs> uh, you know, top of the food chain for the the Cad Manager uh, podcast. He he he's it. Yeah, Confessions of a Cad Manager is a very good, uh, it's a very very good podcast. Uh, it's, it has a lot of good, like juicy Cad details in it. I know Eric's been doing a lot of um, like panel discussions and getting a lot of different Cad managers from all over the country involved. Uh, it, it's 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 a great podcast. Well. Our listeners didn't tune in to hear us uh, talk about our alcohol. I mean, they did, but they didn't. Uh, <laughs> and us a little bit about our podcast rankings. Uh, thank you, by the way, guys but and gals. But uh, today's podcast, we want to j- dive into uh, something that we tried to dive into before. And I will uh, – I'm going to own this, Dave. I don't know if I should say it, but I'm going to go ahead and own it. We had recorded a version of this podcast in the past, but I had way too much whiskey, and I think – I think it was unlistenable for me, so I couldn't do it. So I said, you know what, Dave, we got to circle back when we're both uh, uh, of the right mindset, because this is a too important of a conversation to just gloss over. Uh, although I did have a lot of fun with you recording that one, man. Uh, I think I had <laughs> three or four glasses of whiskey, and it was it was a beautiful episode, a beautiful day. Um, I think it was, yeah. It's one of those maybe uh, those blooper episodes that we release on the website <laughs> or something. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, how many times did he butcher the word Navis works? What the heck? What did he say it? Um, so, so for those of you guys that didn't pick up by the subtle hint there of Navis works, today's episode is focusing on coordination. Uh, we're going to keep it pretty um, industry agnostic. Uh, coordination, you know, spans many industries. It's not just, hey, does my duck hit the steel or my pipe hit the steel? No, we got to be cognizant of all the other factors here. Whether we're talking about the the drywall guys, the civil guys, what have you, there's so much that goes into this. Um, you know, so that said, I know you and I have in the past, you know, shared a lot of horror stories and coordination. I think David Corticus is probably the guru to share the <laughs> the coordination horror stories. Uh, we had him back on a previous episode, but I gotta tell you, man, you know, whether the um, the things are in let me let me back up here for a second. The number one issue that I run into with coordination is that things are in the wrong place in the actual built environment as opposed to the design. And that is like the number one issue. It's like, oh, sh- you know, this isn't where they said it was. Oh, we'll just go ahead and build from there. And that's where we measured off of. And that's it. But the issue is none of that made it back to design models. Everybody else is in uh, a company, you know, accounting for those changes. Uh, later on. I mean, there's just so much that goes to it. Fudge dimensions in a model. There's so many like subtle things here and there, but uh, I think this is the episode where we're going to dive in and uh, talk about ways where we can improve the coordination process and just, you know, little pitfalls to walk out, watch out for. And, and Dave, I'm going to let you hear on a soapbox real quick. I know you've got uh, a good talking point when we talk about uh, connected construction and you know, uh, a collaborative coordinated coordination process. Um, so the coordination has really evolved to where it's not just 
bunch of guys sitting in a room for eight hours trying to hash it out. Uh, now it's like, hey, let's resolve our big clashes here. And then it's not just a once a week routine. It's a, hey, this is all ongoing. There's a communication. It's all documented. You know, tell us a little bit more about things that you've been seeing in that space, man. Well, I've been seeing that it's really important. I mean, obviously, as a lot of people know, if you're if you're getting into it, um, the communication aspect in a construction project is huge. And one of the things that we honestly have a lot of trouble with generally is siloed data or siloed information. Like you have your RFIs or your submittals, or in this case, you know, your clashes, you have those typically in one program. And then you create a report and you're trying to have coordination meetings in this case to go through the different coordination issues that you might see, um, bringing a bunch of people in and usually giving out what I, I like to call homework, right? You got to go back and, and, and try to try to resolve a lot of these issues that you find. And then, you know, again, we're um, trying to resolve those issues, find them in the model. Once they're resolved, they're creating a new coordination model to send out so everyone can bring it back and we start that process all over again. And it, it just, with a connected workflow, we've seen that the time that it takes for everybody to go through all of those steps, I mean, it's just, it's cut. It, it really is. But again, it also kind of depends on the information that you're getting, right? Um, with the connected construction push that I've been seeing, it's, it's really awesome in terms of being able to connect the design application itself to, um, in, in this case, the uh, model coordination piece and having it automatically find clashes or, or find these coordination issues and essentially creating this entire log of something that you can kind of go through and say, yeah, this is an issue or no. But the beautiful thing about it is, is once those issues are created, it's again, going back into that design application. So it's literally speeding up that process. You're not really ever taking in another model and you're trying to go back from a PDF sheet or let's say an eight and a half by 11, you know, 10 page report that you're trying to read through to find all these different clashes or these different issues that someone did print out. Um, we're essentially able to find them right inside of the design application, which is saving the, the design engineer or that drafts person um, a lot of time in itself. But once those issues are done, they're able to be sent back up you know, in, in this case, into the model coordination piece. And those issues are, again, kind of, all those models are being kind of reclashed. And as you're seeing that, I mean, of course, it goes further into the coordination or into the construction process. We could talk about this for days, man, with RFIs, submittals, photos, assets. You know, if we can really start connecting everything together in terms of even the money, like the potential change orders, any, any, Anything that's happening within that project, when we can start really connecting it all together in a common data environment and really start pushing it all out, I mean, it's it's it is really impressive to see in my mind. Like I, I I've liked it, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot, and I've gotten to talk to a lot of um, well, a lot of different um, like in industry people. Essentially, I don't, I'm trying to find a nice word to use there, but. A lot of different people that are, that are in the industry doing different kind of jobs. I know some that are managing coordination that are a GC, some are, you know, design build GC, some are subcontractors or even just the architects, MEP engineers. And we're, we're seeing it kind of all over the board. And the feedback that we've been getting is just, it, it, it's awesome. You know, when they're really starting to utilize the connection of everything together, you know, to start just saying, okay, we're going to stick to, 
you know, this common data environment. We're going to try to get away from some of these silos, or we're going to make sure that in the least, this common data environment has a integration with some of our other, um, you know, if, if you're using, let's for, say, for example, Primavera P6, or if you're using anything else for scheduling for accounting, you know, or tracking, whatever it is that you may be using, we want to start really focusing on the integrations that it's going to have at the very least, right? Making sure that it can communicate with these other programs or other workflows that we utilize um, to well, not disrupt our process that much. Well, you hit something, uh, I guess, probably the, the biggest uh, takeaway for me, which or at least the way place to start is when you said Primavera P6. And, and when we think when we think of planning and scheduling, um, you know, this is something that really comes into play with the, the coordination aspect. You know, there is um, a timeline sequence and, you know, we talk about 4D and 5D and even 6D now. Like, uh, there, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, different dimensions to it, but it all starts with, you know, the what you're doing and when. And then we can add all the other stuff to it, the cost and all that stuff later on. But that said, um you've really got to have these integration down to, um, you know, maybe it is a full P6 integration. Maybe it's not, maybe you find a way to break up your models with Navisworks or what have you, um, whatever it is, that has to be part of your coordination, uh, uh, you know, process because, you know, in, we think of court, I mean, I guess let's back up here. We think of coordination, uh, in a very narrow scope, we, you know, I say we, the industry as a whole, like we, you know, owners and everything, oh, coordination, yeah, that's just, uh, they're telling them that they're hitting something, they need to redraw it or maybe yeah, it's clash else. detection. But that's no. clash detection. That's not yeah. coordination. There's a big difference. It is a clash detection is a component of coordination. And actually, in my mind, clash detection should be a very minute uh, part of coordination yes. while it has the, you know, the, is the biggest low hanging fruit, you know, of, of the bunch. Um, because but your clash, in order for clash detection to work, you have to have coordination. Because if your, your models aren't properly aligned, you're introducing human error into, oh my gosh. into the equation. That okay, so this is probably the uh, a good a good segue here. Uh, you and I have chatted about this quite a bit. Aligning models. Um, you know, hey look guys, there's three coordinate systems in Revit. Um, you know, there is a way to align your models. There's an easy, pretty decent way to align your models in Navisworks. So if they're, you know, coming from different programs, like there is a way to do this um, and, and it'll save you a bunch of time. It's not going to, you know, in, introduce a bunch of headaches. You mm -hmm. can work with 2D and 3D. And I guess that was probably a big point when when we originally recorded this episode is we think about coordination as a 3D, three dimensional aspect. But actually it's 2D all the way up, you know, like you get to 6D or 5D or whatever you want with it. Um but, you know, you can start at two dimensional plans and, and do coordination, you know, based on the project type pretty efficiently from there. And Navisworks actually allows us to work with two dimensional files. There's a workaround. There's some stuff you got to do, but um, we can do if this. If I was like going to do 2D, if I was going to do 2D, I'd probably, I mean, this is kind of a giveaway here, but, uh, and this is my opinion, of course, I'd probably utilize Bluebeam Review's overlay feature and just overlay those 2D plans right on the top of each other and utilize that for coordination. Yes, 100%, especially if you're doing a PDF. If you're doing 2D CAD, um, I like the functionality in uh, ACC, BIM 360, whatever you want to call it, better because I like the – so if you're doing um, any DWG file format, 
instead of doing the overlay with the slider like you used to, it'll actually go through and tell you the elements and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the differences between the versions. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. So if you're doing PDF, yeah, the blue beam, I like that as opposed to just the, the color change uh, slider in the ACC tool. But if you're using <laughs> straight DWGs or something, man, uh, or Revit or, you know, what have you, uh, three-dimensional models, uh, um, that, that, tool that overlay tool inside of or comparison tool rather inside of uh, a um acc bin 360 yep yeah, yeah it's a very it's a very cool yeah very cool tool um when i used to just show up and throw up like i'd go to presentations and you know bin 360 was new i think it was like project alexandria or something at the time and we we're talking about the features and oh you gotta check this out this is so cool like i'd go in there and i'd be like i just showed people that feature i'm like isn't this cool and they're like yeah that's cool we don't have a need for that. Thank you. And I'm like, but it's so cool still. They're like, yes, I get it. It's still cool. Like, I just, I just was geeking out over that one little, I thought that was the coolest freaking thing ever. I had to show everybody whether they cared about it or not. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I've had a few of those myself, uh, man. But getting back to, you know, coordination as a whole, obviously um, bringing those models together. I, I have a preferred method that I like to utilize and that's container models and shared positioning. But, um, you know, everybody has their own own way of doing things. But the, the big piece here is that a lot of times people don't think about that in the contract itself to write in, okay, we are going to go off of this person's, you know, model. This, these are the core, this is the coordinate system we're going to utilize. Um, because I mean, I find that a lot of projects, if they start off without that, they're going to struggle so, so hard, especially when it comes to coordination. So that depends. So large projects like some hospitals and stuff like that, that I've had the pleasure of uh, gracing, um, they, the GC usually provides the, you know, they get the survey, they get the coordinates for the surveyor and mm -hmm. they're sharing um, their control points with everybody. Like it's all set up, like everybody's to use those points. They give them a, uh, DWG to to bring in and acquire coordinates and all that sort of stuff from. So they, they have a baseline to start from. That said, man, you know the, you know I'll say five story and under projects I've been on. Yeah, man, it's it's been a hit or miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right with the bigger projects. That's true. They they do typically start out with the survey. But I've I've been on some projects, of course, smaller. Um, where it's just, it's so difficult to get these models to align when they finally bring them together, they're manually transforming it and then trying to run clash detection. Yes. And it's just, it's, it's no, no bueno. But the other thing, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I got another anecdote for that. Um, even when a surveyor does get, does get involved and I'm going to shit on my surveyor friends here for a minute. Um, I don't know what this need is to put it in some arbitrary um, uh, coordinate system. Oh, gosh, you have to yeah, calculate dude. mean sea level and oh, whatever man. else to, to get our project done. Yeah, I, man. A billion dollar projects should not require this sort of, you know, issue. Like we should, let, let's just put it all on the, the correct <laughs> coordinate system here and, and, yeah. and away we go. Yeah. Yeah. Which of course, if we, if we, started this conversation with surveyors they would be saying we're on the right coordinate system everybody else needs to needs to get on the right coordinate system but yeah I, i'm i'm always interested to jump into some of these files when i go to you know acquire the coordinates and my survey point disappears you know and you're like well where's the origin 
And uh, then you find out it's three, four hundred thousand feet below level. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a little obviously ridiculous, but it, it's it's just it's funny to find that you know where you where you get into these and the survey point disappears. And of course, Revit is very sensitive of, an, of anything over let's say ten to twenty miles. Yeah, but, it doesn't want to um, no. show anything. Yeah. And no, but at the wonky. same time, I'm like, man, it, it's that seems like it's a lot. Even three, four thousand, you know, feet below sea level is just, or above sea level, you know, it, it just that's that's a lot to me trying to fit that into a model. You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. One day, one day we'll figure out a translation. I thought it was bad when architects were just altering their building height by a hundred feet. Um, oh, ten. Yeah. No, 100 feet. Yeah, it was altered by, 10, 100, by 100 feet. Yeah, by yep. 100 feet. And I thought that was bad. But yeah, when you're when your surveys way off, it's like, oh, can can I have, uh, you know, the elevation for this? Oh, yeah, it's on the PDF. I print it out. So then you got to go back to the PDF and uh, <laughs> jack with the vertical. It's like, oh, come on, guys. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. But hey, that's all right. The other point of coordination, kind of getting back into, I mean, a little bit of clash detection, but also, you know, other pieces of it would be, you know, how you're designing, let's say in this case, uh, my experiences with, you know, Revit families. And I remember quite a few episodes ago, we had Chris Bowker on with the, uh, Valor VDC, and we spoke, we got into a really good conversation about this with him, but it's designing those families or the elements that you're going to utilize. Um, to add in the clearances, the safeties, any anything that should be within that, if you know that you know you need five foot of clearance, or even if it's a flange and it goes 180 degrees, you need 180 degrees of clearance on each side of that to make sure that it turns all the way, right? It's not just about things running into each other. It's also about safely maintaining and operating this equipment as well. So we really need to take that into account when we think about coordination for the construction industry. Yeah, that gets back to another topic that we discussed in the past, and that was BIM for deconstruction. Well, BIM for maintenance and deconstruction kind of go hand in hand. If I've got to replace something, I am essentially deconstructing in, as, in, in a sense, but the the forethought would have had to gone into the, the model to where, hey, look, I need to be able to safely remove this in, in, in some instance um, or some some scenario. Um, and what is, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't foresee every scenario in the future, but, you know, if this needs to be taken apart, is this even possible? How does this even happen? And, and um, yeah, that should, that should be, you know, thought about, especially as we talk yeah. more about BIM for FM and BIM for maintenance uh, in the future. And it's BIM for the client. You know, I watched something the other day that was, it was quite interesting. It was just this conversation someone was having about BIM and and focusing on the client, how it's a, it's a change in mindset, because a lot of times people, you know, in, in the AEC industry will get stuck on, you know, or essentially it's, it's almost like tunnel vision with the project, right? They're trying to get through, they're trying to stay under budget, they're trying to stay under schedule, you know, or at least meet the schedule and not, not be late. But a lot of times the thought process, I feel like there's not enough at the beginning to think about how are we going to hand this off to the client and how are they going to successfully utilize all of these different files, this data that we have for them? Because you know they're spending all this money getting this building built, but all of that data that goes into the design of that building is theirs as well. 
you know, they should be able to utilize that for their FMs, for their maintenance systems. You know, they should be able to utilize the, the data that we can provide to enable them to do things better. Well, that probably gets back to another point here. Um, I don't know where this ranks in my, my list of here of the top five coordination things to, to really focus on. But um, for me, it's one that boils down to company mindset. Uh, is your company invested in a VDC BIM department? And the reason why, you know, doing coordination, all that sort of stuff. And the reason why I ask is, you know, there, there's a lot um, – there's a lot to be said for the guys out in the field that are actually building it. Look, they get paid to build stuff and your company's making money because they build stuff. That said, there's a lot that goes into the BIM and VDC side as well because they're helping the project run smoothly. They're saving time and money um, and, you know, providing another, um, uh, I guess, what's the word, a variable, I guess, for safety, yep. uh, to manage safety better. And that's just, you know, that's just a, a win for all. And too often I get wrapped up in these conversations where, you know, BIM VDC is actually thought of as overhead uh, instead of as part of the project and, and, you know, being fully integrated. So I guess that really boils down to is like, you know, company mindset, like changing that ecosystem, that culture to make it really, um, uh, you know, aggressive and, and pushing forward this VDC. And this isn't just a BIM guy saying, Hey, yeah, get more BIM guys out there. This is saying, no, look, you really need to have buy off. Uh, in anything you do, uh, whether we're talking project management, VDC, scheduling, doesn't matter. You've got to have buy-off on any of those to make yourself successful and build an ecosystem and a culture. And, and some of the best firms that I've worked with on the VDC side really have an adoption. They really have uh, uh, a team put forth that actually is integrated in the project and is not treated in such an oversight manner. Yes, you know, there's probably a little bit of a spending too much time on this project, but at the same time, they're attaching a VDC guy to, you know, one or two projects, depending on the same, you know, depending on the project size to really steer that project through. And they're working at the behest of the PM and, and with the superintendents to, to really drive it, drive it home. Yeah. Yep. Man, I've even been seeing um, coordination pick up out in the field use in terms of aggregating all of the data together and utilizing well, in, in this case, aggregating the data into a what? Well, in this case, they were aggregating the data into um, an, an environment that they can use for visualization for their. Did you field say team. it's a common data environment? I wanted to take a <laughs> shot. That's yeah. why I was trying to get you to say it. <laughs> take a shot. Yes, um, you know, in this case, they were using Infoworks, right? But they were using it to aggregate all the data together, so they could help. They could give it to their their field teams on a tablet. And essentially, as their, you know, dirt movers are going out to excavate and dig down for pipes, they know if there's any existing structures, any existing pipes below ground, they can actually visually see where the new piers or the new footings or new supports are going to be going in, um, the trench that they're going to be digging. They can see the actual pipes kind of going down in there. They'd be able to adjust the surface. Even to when we were talking about it earlier, scheduling and planning. You know, all these trucks that arrive on a construction site on a daily basis, that's something that also has to be thought about, the logistics portion of movement on the site. Not only that, but you get some of these big dump trucks that, you know, you get your dirt movers digging, you know, dirt out and they're filling up these dump trucks or let's say they're bringing gravel in or, or substrate, what have you. 
um, they have to kind of plan out the routes that they're going to take, not only to the construction site, but on it, right? Making sure that the roads are um, essentially heavy enough to handle or built well enough to at least temporarily handle these trucks while they're going down. And then, of course, they have to plan a road out. They have to plan an exit off of the site and doing this safely, right? And that's a, that's a huge part of this. If we can utilize that data to coordinate not just the building project information itself, but the logistics, the site planning, and the safety on your site. That's a huge portion of what we can offer in terms of, you know, not even just the people making the design, the people buying the building, but the people who are actually on site every day building these buildings, um, these, you know, different, different, many different types of buildings um, to, do, you know, do it safely, but also on schedule, you know, doing it timely. Yeah, I think we're swallowing coordination into like all of construction now. Like we're like, yeah, it's got to have, you know, scheduling and cost estimating. It's got to have safety. It's got to have, you know, this and that. But it's like these all tie together in such an appropriate manner. Um, you know, I think coordination should be, you know, have a little bit of safety built into it. We should be talking about uh, you know, how to access the site safely and thinking about logistics at the same time, because again, that ties into safety. Um, I mean, there's just so much that, that is a part of it. Um, coordination isn't clash detection. I guess that's the, the mindset we've got to get people out of. Like it is, but you know, it, it, it is, is, but it isn't. isn't. Just like BIM, it's not just a 3D model. You know, there's so many processes that are involved in BIM. Like obviously, coordination, clash detection, those are a component or a, a, a tool, a piece of BIM, right? It's something that we can do from it. And I think on that, on that flow chart, coordination continues to break down into many other elements that we do need to, to really include when we think about coordination. That's probably, uh, I mean, that's not probably, that is definitely a, a key point to hit on. Um, you know, where... I don't know, maybe we should redefine coordination as a um, as a subset of construction focused primarily on the pre-construction aspects. Uh, and that way we'll eliminate a little bit of uh, the, you know, you know, the safety, I guess that goes with. I mean, I guess I don't know. It still kind of ties into safety. It does. Um, I mean, honestly, you're looking at. Even even when a system is is designed, right? You have to think about, like you said earlier, someone actually getting in there to install it and someone getting in there to maintain it. I mean, I really wish most car manufacturers would have this mindset nowadays. It seems like I, I can't even take out spark plugs in some cars without having <laughs> to drop the engine. And it's like, why? You know, it, it just they're they're so hard to get into nowadays. But I look at that when I when I when I think about construction, I'm like, you know, we really need to start making these buildings, you know, as we prefabricate more and more, we really need to think about how these things are going in, who's putting them in, and then the actual reality of maintaining it afterwards. And I mean, I get, you know, obviously things can change and people will make decisions if something wasn't designed to do, you know, or be a certain way or have a certain, you know, it was designed to have a, a specific size of equipment. If somebody wants to go bigger, that's on them, right? But at the same time, when we're talking about BIM and, and coordination, 
Um, there's so much that's involved with it. You know, you were talking about the timeline earlier. So we, you know, we start thinking about phasing. There's phasing in design. There's also phasing in construction, right? We need to start getting that idea of coordinating these phases for, you know, the actual construction process. And I know, you know, typically with design, we think of, you know, new construction or we think of existing demolition. If, if a project is going to have multiple phases, you might have phase one, two, three, four, you know, what have you. Um, but we also, again, can start thinking about, you know, when we talk to, oh, oh what, gosh, um, he's with Alice Technologies. His name is right on the front of my brain, but I cannot pull it out for some reason. You're talking um, about the 3% statistic? Well, yes, I was thinking about the 3% statistic. Oh, good Lord. I'm only on Don't half quote the us on statistics, yeah. even how we say it. <laughs> um, but when you can really start thinking about how we can design, how the construction project itself can can be bettered in terms of analyzing. In, in your, okay, if we can. I want to interrupt you because oh, you, you didn't remember his name. His name is Renee, by the way. Renee, that's it. Renee. Yes. Thank you. Ah, thank you. Um, I mean, what he's doing, honestly, is, is game changing. I really think it's um, automated construction, generative construction, right? In, in terms of realizing in what phase can we do this to optimize, you know, okay, we can have a crew over here doing this and we can have another crew over here doing that. And while these systems are simultaneously getting installed or, you know, one right after the other, we can start planning what else goes in, especially, obviously, as we get more and more into fabrication. And, and I'm excited to see what comes after uh, prefabrication and fabrication. You know, I'm, I'm curious as to what we're going to be doing in the future, like fully 3D printing entire rooms or something. But, you know, <laughs> um, it's just it's cool to think about because the more that we can see the the adaptation of this technology and of, and of this mindset for coordination, right? And if you start again, kind of getting back to, to phasing it in general, okay? Obviously, I, when I worked with a design build firm, we had phases of our own. We would always try to get the structure so we could break ground, we could get the permits to do that. And then the, the design would continue from there. And it always seemed like we had these phased approaches in terms of what is the most important system that's going to come up? What what permits do we have to get for this? You know, we're obviously a lot of companies are doing that already, but I'm thinking to utilize that mindset in also planning the the construction itself, especially during COVID times when we're limited on the amount of personnel that we can have on a site. And safety is, you know, very key anyways. It's always at the forefront of everyone's minds. How can we optimize who we have on site? but also, you know, try to keep the project moving forward. I think coordination is another, you know, that can be included in coordination. Man, we're just going to make coordination like encompass all of right now. It's everything. <laughs> coordination is everything. <laughs> oh, you need to go grocery shopping? Did you know that that is Did coordination? You coordinate that? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you didn't, your wife's going to have something to say. I'm just saying. Man. Yeah, right. That's coordinate right. the hell out of that. You better coordinate the hell out of that. Yeah. I, I coordinate the hell out of my grocery shop. When you use the Google Keep app and uh, we sync it, so if she wants something on the grocery list or if I want something on there, you know, it's uh, it's connected. And I guess that's the way we, we should think about construction documentation as a whole is look 
um, you got to refer to that documentation in that list, um, you know, with the timestamp, because at that given moment, that's, you know, that is gospel. And yes, it does change with new information coming in. But when you made your decisions, that was gospel. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And I mean, I just I look forward to seeing. Um, well, I mean, I guess I look forward to seeing more detail in the drawings as we start, you know, pushing more towards coordination and how we can enable. Um, we need better machines, but- man. That's exactly it, dude. That is exactly it. Oh my gosh. The, the size of some of these models that we get in folks, like they're huge and you go to zoom in and it's like five minutes later, your blue wheel starts, starts turning and you're like, Oh, oh, okay. And and like 10 gigabyte, you know, I'm just throwing out numbers here. Again, don't quote us on any numbers. Uh, A 10 gigabyte model and a two gigabyte model. um, You would think that they would both, behave in a horrible manner but depending on the level of detail and the way that the work sets and everything is set up in that 10 gigabyte model um couldn't mean that it actually performs a lot performs a lot better than that two gigabyte model you know a two gigabyte model might have you know uh, uh, work sets or link issues or you know just whatever there's so much that goes into it um you and i have i don't know how many cases we've gone through this together where we've tried to solve somebody's uh, model issues and more often than not, it usually boils down to work sets. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true too. Um, but it, I mean, the more data we get into the models, the heavier they are, you know, we had a uh, Lenovo you need a big, on. Yeah. You need, I you mean, need something like about, that. Computing yeah, power. Those guys yeah, got it. Really big computing powder and uh, computing powder, <laughs> computing power. And I mean, we're starting to see a push towards cloud computing. Right now, we've ran into our own issues with this in terms of licensing and how do you how do you license a remote desktop or a server that's constantly being changed? Um, it's it's really hard, and I think we're going to have to take a look at that kind of moving forward as well in terms of how we how we have our licenses because I mean, really, I well, see a lot I of think things pushing to the cloud. So I think uh, all the companies are starting to put a, a a step in the right direction here. So I don't know if you know this. Uh, I think it was just announced, but uh, well, let me let me Google it real quick to make sure I can actually say something. <laughs> talk out of turn here. All right, let me let me give it the one sold. Uh, I'm not seeing an issue with it. All right, I think I can mention it. So Autodesk has this thing called Flex Licensing, uh, and it's essentially a token where you pay for. They've had it around for years called Token Token Flex, um, and it seems to be you know a good way for people to access licensing. Uh, but really, what it does is it doesn't care who the user is. It just wants to know uh, is this software being open for more than five minutes on a on a machine, and it records the machine name or whatever. Um, so even when you spin up a virtual machine, there still is a machine name. So we can have that. You know, hey, this license has been open for X amount of time by, you know, XYZ virtual machine uh, for, you know, more than five minutes, whatever. You're getting charged for that day for licensing or whatever. I, I you know, I, I don't want to get into the specifics of it. But the idea being it's not a license managed to you by your individual machine. It's not a license uh, assigned to a specific user. It's not a license that I mean, like you can just sign it to anybody. And I know 
um, in the past, we've worked with PDF software licensing in the cloud, and we've run into issues there. Like there's, there's always got to be workarounds, and it seems like the workaround always boils down to like getting some sort of um, flexible cloud-based licensing um, to resolve those issues. And that might be the future, and how we, how we, uh, you know, get this quantum computing power, you know, jumpstart for the construction industry. Everybody's getting these five thousand uh, dollar BIM machine laptops now. But, um, you know, are they really needed? Is it is it a long term thing or, you know, can we get by with, a, you know, a, a one thousand dollar laptop and, you know, pulling from a, a, a you know, cloud hosted virtual machine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably yeah. a little redundant cloud hosted and virtual machine. That's probably a little bit of a redundancy, <laughs> redundant, but, but that's all you, right. you get what I'm all saying. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, so. We've worked on some large projects in the past where we've, you know, gigabyte models, right? And we're pushing through uh, glue or, or whatever it was at the time. And, you know, it just boils down to like, you've got to take a step back and figure out how's the best way to to integrate and act with this data in a way that's going to allow you to do the coordination and class detection process, but allow, but still allow it, uh, allow you to, you know, easily navigate the models and, and you know, sync up and work with the other trades um, you know, what have you. And, and really to me, it comes down to, you know, finding ways to break up the model in, in a meaningful way. So a zone, a level, you know, what have you, I mean, that's just, you know, the nature of the beast as the models get more detailed and as the projects get bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's, it's, I don't know, man, it's, it's becoming quite an interesting thing to watch, especially when you get into, uh, the layout function or kind of portion of it. As teams are taking these, you know, levels out, they're using them for coordination, but they're also using them for layout and making sure that everything is coordinated when, you know, the concrete team comes out to pour, that their penetration points are accurate or that these pipe stub ups are there, um, making sure that, you know, nobody's pouring over something that doesn't need to be poured over, essentially. And and I mean, it kind of just keeps going from there. Uh, it's, I don't know, it, it, it it's all kind of, it's a circle. I always think of Rob Schneider in my head when I when I go to say that, but it it's a circle, right? It's always kind of going around and coming back because we're always taking coordination from the field as well. We're taking those measurements to verify that things are laid out correctly after they've been installed. I mean, obviously, this is getting a little bit past BIM, so. <laughs> uh, but you know, if something does change, we need to be able to adjust the design um, and make those, you know, we need to adapt quickly to make those changes. While, while you're still on the pre-construction side, yeah. Yeah, yep. So so um, you, Brent, you mentioned uh, visualization earlier, and you were talking about InfoWorks and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, that's an important part. I mean, it's probably another bullet we could throw up. Another important part of uh, coordination, yes, it is clash detection, but it's being able to visualize um, the model. And I'm not just talking about like pressing the, you know, the clash detected button and, and Revit and Navisworks and having it run for you or doing automated clash detection in the cloud. I'm actually talking about like setting eyes on it. And, and uh, I, yeah, I don't mean after it's built and, and setting eyes on it. I mean, uh, slapping on some uh, VR goggles or, you know, walking the 3D model because while it might not be a clash in the model, it still is a uh, uh, an issue that needs to be resolved. And that could be, um, hey, look, there was an ac- you know an accidental cutout here for no reason. They moved the pipe, but they didn't move the cutout in, in the wall or, or what have you, right? Like there's there's always something that we're going to catch that that uh, you wouldn't normally catch just by pressing the magic buttons. Um, you, you've literally got to lay eyes on 
and on it and everybody needs to flip it, spin it and, and, and see, you know, how it's all been detailed, how, how all that comes together. Because I, I tell you what, yeah, you might think that, uh, oh, we're not hitting, so we're good, but you might realize that actually you're taking up, you know, six feet of extra space and you really should have. Um, if you just set eyes on it, you'd know that we can move our, uh, uh, our duct and our, uh, you know, piping a little bit closer and, um, you know, our hangers would be just fine. Like there's so much more that we can do just with our eyes. The human eyes are an amazing component of our, of our, you know, body. I do agree. I got do a little agree. eye on you there, man. Sorry. <laughs> the oh, human good. body. <laughs> that's good. No, actually that was, um, that's a, a big piece of what I've been talking about lately in my, in my webinars and stuff is visualization into the project. For all stakeholders, it's a very important piece. And as you're saying, you know, as things get constructed, even down to interior design itself, everybody needs to be aware um, if they can, you know, get visualization into the project so they can see what's going on. If there's a wrong material somewhere, or as you said, something's been moved. It's a very important piece in the project for everyone that's involved. You know how I was just thinking about this, and uh, this could be all the alcohol from today kicking, you know, catching back up to me. But you know how um, I think coordination is really going to change. Um, it's really going to be driven, in my mind, uh, driven by the as-built side. Somebody's going to capture the data and just be like, "Why the hell did they do this like this?" Or, or uh, you know, there's yeah, there's a scan that comes in, and you know, maybe they did the uh, um, the you know, verity, whatever the verification process and, oh, this steel beam is actually, you know, three inches off of the drawing. Well, why is it three inches off the drawing? Well, the drawing didn't account for that opening right there and, and we needed, you know, to route this. There was a, a buffer or boundary around this, this, you know, duct or fire suppression or whatever. Like there's stuff that, that we're not capturing that's not documented the model, but that verification process is going to kind of feed back into, it's going to create this feedback loop for us to say, Oh, actually, they could have saved, you know, $10,000 here by um, doing this a different way. And we have the proof because, look, here's the model that we've created based off of the, the you know, the scan. And it's got the verification because we compared it against the model. And we know these things to be true. Um, and then I guess another component, uh, you know, getting back to that walkthrough thing, I just wanted to hit back real quick. I've actually chatted with a, a mechanical contractor that was given a, a, a budget for some VR goggles or uh, I don't know for their mixed reality or VR, but they essentially did the, the walk site and it saved them like $20,000 on like the first time they ever used them. So like definitely, you know, paid that budget back that they got for using these, these goggles, like more than paid for it. So like, I, I just really want to harp on the visualization aspect. Visualization aspect is really important, but yes, um, I don't know, man. I like scanning, and I want to work into every conversation I can. So there. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. No, I mean, honestly, scanning has its place in coordination as well. I mean, well, if especially we're, if we're going to talk about remodels and stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I've talked to people who I know if I – if I was designing nowadays, I'd want to be able to just take a VR headset and, you know, walk through the existing building and be able to draw my pipe out as I'm walking through it because I can see exactly what's there. I mean, that's honestly, I'd say almost, if not more than half the, the battle. The next steps. Yeah, there you go, dude. Coming. Right, right. 
but I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's a huge part of it. I mean, if I could walk through you, if you know what is in that building, a lot of times the scan can get you so far, but if you're not moving ceiling tiles, you know, if you're not going that extra, extra mile to really know what's there, you're not going to know, you know, you, you think you're going to be able to drill this hole through this drywall here and push this pipe through this wall, but turns out there's a pipe there that's not really on the model or the, or the drawings. It's actually, you know, two or three feet from where it was in the CAD file or the, the, the drawing that you have. <laughs> it's, it, it's always an interesting process. Find somebody that's willing to drill through uh, a post can post tension deck um, <laughs> without, without a, uh, uh, yeah, you know, without knowing exactly scan, where those cables are. Without, without a, yeah, without a scan before it was laid, or without doing some kind of a uh, ground penetrating uh, uh, lidar, radar. Yeah, know, radar. Like it's it's not nobody's gonna take that chance, man. That no. that cable's gonna snap clear across the street and keep on going, man. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I feel all like right. this, this, this episode could go on forever as well, because, I mean, it's all-encompassing coordination. <laughs> it could, man. We, we've, we've blown the topic up. But really, it boils down to is, obviously, we got to talk about clash detection. The visualization piece is huge. Um, maybe not engulfing the other uh, aspects of, you know, pre-construction and, you know, even through construction, but, like, just thinking logically about the workflow and how you interact with site coordination, how you interact with the, mm -hmm. the scheduling, how you interact with the, the estimation. Like these are all big things. Um, and you know, there isn't one, there isn't a one size fits all solution. Um, you know, some of them do better jobs than others, but um, you really, you got to, you got to keep in mind the scope of it. And I think that's probably where we should start is like the scope of your coordination. Is it just limited to you just want to kick out clash detection because that's all you're beholden to? Or do you want to have a bigger conversation on how to deliver better deliverables uh, to your owners and into the, the, the trades and GCs and whoever else you happen to be working with? Because that's a bigger conversation. And really, that's the piece that takes the, you know, that you really need to get the buy-in from everybody else. So like you got to get the clash detection, you got to get, you know, uh, coordination and, you know, the, the planning and documentation side down. You also got to get buy-in to make, uh, VDC and coordination really, um, significant and, and part of the process and not a hindrance and not a, um, an oversight or a, um, what's the word I used earlier where you're, um, Ah, you're not making money, but you're overhead. That's the word. Overhead. You're, yep. Yeah, you're not overhead. You're you're you know you're um, actually contributing and saving money. And I guess that's like a a, a mindset that we have to come to uh, collectively. And a lot of people are already there. A lot of firms, most firms I talk to already get it. They know we they got hey this this project requires BIM, so I gotta do it. and it's gonna make me money and blah blah blah. And then it just comes into the uh, the next conversation of this: How do I find a BIM guy? Uh, I run into that quite a bit. Do you know any BIM guys? Um, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you need a BIM guy, give me a call. I'm going to get you connected with some of my my friends. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those are probably the big things, right? You got coordination, encompassing uh, the clash detection, the visualization, you know, reining it in so it's not all encompassing, but yet still being mindful of the other disciplines. Thinking about um, – 
you know, long term, not just this this you know part where we're kicking out a project, right? There's got to be deliverables that we're adhering to, and also figuring out a way to make better deliverables. Um, and I think that in a, in a nutshell should be, you know, some of the keys to success for coordination. Again, this could go on and on, but um, I, regardless of what tools you use, regardless of of uh, you know your budgets or the size of projects, I don't think coordination changes much. It's all about being uh, open and honest, having that clear line of communication with all party stakeholders, and uh, setting you know expectations and objectives early on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and and to uh, uh, oh gosh, I'm gonna butcher his name. Um, the gentleman that had the uh, cool nonprofit that he did on the side. Uh, he worked for the um, construction uh, app. Uh, we had him on a podcast before. Uh, he mm-hmm. he was talking about the um, you know, when you think about construction and and all that sort of stuff, being a PM is really just about moving um that hot potato around i don't know if you remember that conversation yes yes it's all passing the liability passing the liability man if you think about it i mean that's kind of what coordination is i mean you're trying to solve some of that liability but at the same time you're trying to pass on that liability like hey mr fire protection you can't put that here you know it's on you to move this and then you know uh, oh i can't move that because this this is here and this pipe comes in here and this is so-and-so's responsibility Ryan, yes. I was going to call him Ryan. I didn't want to butcher it. I was trying to Google real fast. Uh, yes, yes. Um, yeah, man, but like, that's part of it, right, is uh, thinking about that liability, you know, passing it around and, and making sure it's not in, in your court at the end of the day. You don't want to be the, the one holding up the project or um, causing big delays for, for the, everybody else on the project. Don't be but that guy. Don't be that guy, man. Well, hey, man, I think we uh, we did a good cursory uh, overview of what we had talked about in the past uh, on our previous um, probably never to be aired episode. episode. Yeah, a little yes. more coherent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, and, and, you know, when we talk about construction and, and coordination, you and I, we talk about in the, the grand, you know, the as most people think of it is the vertical like going up and it also encompasses the uh, uh what's under the ground too and that's just something to be cognizant of the civil 3d aspect um you know it's got a pipes clash and all that stuff but bring that stuff into navisworks it's a much better engine uh for doing the clash detection and uh you know looking at your underground utilities in my mind yeah heck yeah you see where it's going to connect into the building make sure it's not going through any walls or any uh footings or anything like that that might be out there Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, hey, man, I, I uh, feel like this is a good stopping point. I do want to uh, reiterate something here that we talked about in previous episodes. You and I uh, are hitting the road here pretty soon. Um, I think we got about two weeks left. We're going to do yeah. our first tap tour. You know, fingers crossed that COVID ain't going rampant and events getting canceled. But uh, you guys uh, can see us in Kansas and uh, St. Louis. Uh, we'll throw a link up in our LinkedIn uh, in our webpage so you guys can uh, check out the events there and sign up. And uh, we look forward to seeing everybody. Yeah, heck yeah. In Kansas City and St. Louis and then, what, Pittsburgh and Boston? Yeah, and then Chicago and Indy and Portland. Portland. And I think you're doing Tacoma maybe. I don't I don't remember. There's there's too many dates, too many locations. I just <laughs> uh, I got my next month, and that's all I can work within, man. Anything else beyond that is uh, a little too daunting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, hey, man. Thank you again. And until next time.
Stay thirsty, my friend. Hey, BWB fans. Today's episode is brought to you by Red Transit Consultants. Red Transit Consultants does really high-end customizations of CAD uh, workspaces. Um, so if your CAD software isn't doing quite what you want it to do, um, reach out to Red Transit Consultants. Steve Hill over there knows a thing or two about uh, the civil workspace. Uh, he's developed amazing plugins already available uh, for purchase directly from their website, uh, focusing on things like uh, pipe network productivity tools, lot grading tools, surface productivity tools. Uh, these tools really help with the automation and efficiency of existing workflows and really, you know, pick up where the software leaves off. Uh, so if you need any uh, customization or you just want to check out their tools, um, follow the links uh, on our website and reach out to Red Transit Consultants.